Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. May you all please stand up as I read this scripture. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we die with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you. You guys may be seated. Thank you so much, Sharon. Uh, Anyone have a bad habit that they wish that they could stop doing? Anybody have have that? Uh, my daughter, Lily, she loves to, just as she comes in the house, I don't know why she does this, and, and I didn't teach her to do it, but as she walks into the house, sorry, I looked over at my wife at that point, I did not mean to do that. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to wear my shoes, I don't want to wear my socks, and she just starts taking them off as she walks into the house, so there's this little trail of clothes, you know, as she walks into the house, and there's all these phantom socks just everywhere in the house, because she takes them off as she comes in instead of just putting them where they go, right? Anybody else do that? Leave a trail of clothes as they walk in the house? Some of you guys? Yeah. Um, My bad habit, uh, among many, is uh, the one that I'm telling you now, is (laughs) I, uh, for some reason, if I bring a coffee cup into my car, for some reason when I get out of it, I leave it there. So I have this graveyard of... (laughs) of cups, like this leaning tower of, of coffee cups, just, and if it's any consolation, I also forget to get them and bring them into the car most of the time as well, so I just forget coffee cups everywhere. Um, <laughs> one of my kids picks their nose and eats it, and so I won't tell you which one, I don't want to embarrass them, but it's going to be a real problem if they don't handle this bad habit that they have. Um, Bad habits, they're annoying, but most of them are not really that big a deal, except for picking your nose and eating it. If we, we, can, we can pray for you tonight if you have that. Um, but, you know, bad habits, okay, yeah, we can deal with those or whatever, but it's a whole other thing when we start talking about struggling with sin, right? We can shrug off, you know, certain things, but with this, it's like we need, we need to deal with, with sin, like sinful patterns and habits, but, but sometimes with both, like habits and sinful patterns, it's like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be free of this. I don't feel like I can change. I'm struggling to change. I'm struggling to see freedom in this area um, that, that's an area of sin in my life. And, and tonight we're talking about freedom from sin. And when you start talking about sin and, and freedom from sin, there's three types of people, I think, in the room, maybe more, but there's definitely three types of people here. One, those that are, you know, like, they're like Isaiah. That's like, woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Like they're so hard on themselves. They know their sin is sinful. Nobody is, you know, harder on them than they are on themselves. And they're like, oh, I hate it. You know, I just want to get rid of it, but I can't, I can't win, right? 
There are those, I think, probably in this room that don't really know what sin is, and so you're kind of cruising through life, maybe struggling, maybe not, but I don't really know what sin would be. I don't, I don't really, you know, maybe I've heard what a pastor might have said or a friend might have said, but I don't really know. And then there are others maybe that are like, you know, you know what sin is. You've been taught, you've been taught the Word of God, but you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm just not all that worried about it. And I think that tonight, maybe I want to help address all three of those perspectives uh, this evening as we talk about it. And, and I want to look at the scripture, right, that says over and over in this passage that Sharon read for us, that sin would lose its power, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, that when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, that we can, we can walk where sin is not controlling our lives. Whether you feel like that's true or not right now, I hope that you will believe that it's true when we're done tonight, that there is hope for you tonight if sin is a struggle that you're dealing with and you want to find freedom. Before we get into maybe some strategies that we're going to actually practice or kind of go through this evening, I want to talk about some barriers that kind of stand in the way from us finding freedom from sin. The first one is this. It's the first barrier that we run into is we don't know what sin is and what it does. Uh, probably the best example that I could give uh, at this point is, is last May, this past May, uh, June, Asia, and I went on a mission trip to Atlanta Georgia, and we worked with a ministry called Frontline Response, and Frontline works to rescue people from sex trafficking. Um, they work to provide help and services for the homeless and hungry and addicts, and uh, they also facilitate outreach and prevention for at-risk children. I'd love to show you pictures of what we did, but you're not allowed to take pictures of vulnerable people while you're serving them, right? Like, that's, you know, wise and not exploitative, right? Like, so, um, but we had a blast, and, and we're going to do it again in May, so you should come with us. It'll change your life. Um, but one of, the, one of the folks that we met while we were on this mission trip was a lady named Renee. And the first morning that we were there, we met her. Renee was this, just like this precious woman that looked to be about in her 40s. She was so kind. She was so gentle. She was very, very thin, very thin from malnutrition. Um, she had lost some teeth. Like She was a victim of, of sex, trafficking, sex trafficking and was involved in prostitution, and she was dealing with drug addiction. And as we spent some time with Renee, uh, she began to share her life story with us. And I think uh, my interaction with her challenged a lot of assumptions I might have had previously about prostitution. And she began to share her story. It was very traumatic. So trigger warning, there are some traumatic things, but I promise not to go into detail. Okay. But from the time that Renee was very young, she began to be sexually abused by her family members. When she hit puberty, she had her first baby, which was fathered by her dad. Her second baby was fathered by her uncle, and her third baby was fathered by her brother. After being addicted to drugs and being trafficked for many years, miraculously, Renee was able to get clean. And for 18 years, she was married and had a family with her husband, and things were pretty good, comparative to her previous years. But after going through divorce with her husband, she found herself back in addiction a man had come along and sweet-talked her, romanced her, treated her well, and then stole her government assistance card, supplied her with drugs, moved her into this dingy, disgusting laundromat basement with 11 other women that he was pimping out from this laundromat basement. A dozen women. All the money that she made from uh, prostitution had to go to the pimp. He also still, all the government assistance that she was getting, the pimp was stealing from her by having that card and holding it hostage. And he was paying her solely in drugs to keep her addicted and to keep her trapped. 
and he had complete control over her life. She got really emotional as she shared that she had recently given birth to a child from either a John or her pimp, and that the baby had died in the hospital a few days after it was born due to the drugs that she was on, and she was almost charged with a crime for that, for endangering this child. So when we met Renee, we heard her story. She's a woman that was trapped essentially in this sex dungeon with other women being repeatedly victimized day after day, week after week, for God only knows how long. And as she shared her story with us, we were obviously all heartbroken, but we were also furious (laughs) about all that she had gone through and the ways that she'd been mistreated. As I've shared, like, do any of you feel that, like that anger about what happened to her? Pardon my expression, but which, which part of that pisses you off the most? Is it the rape or the incest, the greed, the deception, the de- devaluing of human life, the poverty, the addiction, the loss of freedom? Which one of those things do you most wish that she never had to experience? What links would you go to to make sure she never had to face that pain? Why does her story make us angry when we hear it? Why does it disgust us? Because it's wrong. (laughs) Because this precious woman had been sinned against over and over and over, and it should not be this way. Person after person after person in her life made selfish choices, marginalized her, disregarded her, sinned against her, and sinned against God. Her story is hard to hear, but it is a vivid example of what sin truly is, friends. It's a picture of what sin does in our world. Sin is destructive and corrosive, and it leads to pain and brokenness and death. And as furious as you or I may be about what has been done to Renee, there is no one more angry about it than God. I promise. Why? Because he never intended for that to happen to her. He told us not to do things like were done to her in his word. And he sent his son Jesus to sacrifice his life on the cross to free us from that power of sin, just like the passage that we read. Jesus made a way for this to never happen to her. Yet the people around her selfishly chose not to be obedient to God and to his laws, and the results of that sin caused immense destruction in the life of a woman created in God's image. If the sin inflicted on her makes you mad, then you're in good company because it makes God mad too. Because he never intended for her to suffer that pain, brokenness, and destruction, ever. He created sex, not for that. He created family, not for that. He created provision and ability to make money, but not for that. That was not ever his intention. Not for her, not for us, not for anyone, ever. He's angry about sin. And when we hear her story, we feel he's rightfully angry about sin, right? But here's the question that we have to wrestle with. If we experience that righteous hate and anger toward the sins done to Renee, then why don't we hate the sins we commit against God and others with the same force? Why don't we feel the same way towards our sin, our selfish choices, and disobedience to God that we do towards what happened to her? We could justify it, maybe say it's not quite as bad, but what if I told you there is no difference in the sight of God? You, and, and you might be saying, like, seriously, dude? Like, you can't possibly saying, be saying that what I've done is as bad as what was done to Renee. 
No, I'm not saying it. I'll just let God say it in Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. When you start to read this list here, it starts off like, yeah, that's real bad, right? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. Okay, that's, that's pretty bad, but hostility, quarreling? Uh-oh, jealousy? Outbursts of anger? Selfish ambition? I was talking to a student the other day that said they were in a class that the, the professor literally said, your time here is, is like you are supposed to be selfish. Now that you're in college, it's time to be selfish. It's time to look out for number one. It's time to take care of yourself. This is your season to be selfish. A professor telling a student to live by a thing that's in a list <laughs> of sins in the Bible. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other translations say orgies, um, and other sins like these. Now, we could look at this and we could go like, all right, I'm doing pretty good because I don't do some of that. But some of that is stuff that we struggle with or have dealt with quite a bit. In the same list, the same list. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is what Paul says over and over in Scripture. There's, uh, I could give you multiple other spots where there's these lists, and it's like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't built an idol. I haven't carved anything out of a piece of wood and put it up in my house and worshipped it. Oh, but, you know, greed? Hmm. Maybe I am dealing with that. Pride? Oh, yeah. Maybe that is me, right? Same list. Same list. What's the first sin in the scripture? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God's command not to eat from one tree in the garden. They disobeyed and ate a piece of fruit. <laughs> okay, seriously, what's the big deal, <laughs> right? But what happened in the very next chapter of the Bible? Adam and Eve's son, Cain, gets jealous and angry over his brother Abel's sacrifice being accepted and not his. And God actually verbally warns Cain, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And Cain, rather than listening to God, murders his own brother. One chapter later, within one generation, disobedience, selfishness, and sin went from eating fruit to murder. <laughs> that escalated very quickly, <laughs> right? But that's what sin is. It's corrosive. It's destructive. And one of the biggest reasons that we do not find freedom from our sins is we don't hate them enough. Let, let me just show you what sin has done on our campus. Can I show you? I just want to show you based on signs that are up on our campus. You guys remember this one at the top left from the beginning of semester? Literally a sign that says, don't sexually assault people, please. What? That's where we're at, right? We have here, please don't commit suicide. There's hope for you. There's help for you. Race and reconciliation. Apparently, we haven't dealt with racism here, right? We haven't. Turning tragedy into progress. A conversation with parents from the anti-hazing coalition, right? People losing their lives due to hazing. So we've got we've to do that. The urgency of say her name. Just the marginalization of women, particularly women of color. This is all signs and events that are happening on our campus. Sin has affected TCU, guys. Go frogs, right? It's here. It's here. But wait, like, 
What about this idea that my sins don't hurt anyone else? Like, what about just the sins that I do? What about the hurt that it does to you? (laughs) Right? Like, we've talked about this over and over this whole semester that we don't break the laws of God. We break ourselves against them. We hurt ourselves. Like, and so if we don't deal with the sin in our life, we, we don't know the trajectory of what the sin might cause in our life. And we don't know the effects that it will have on our friends, our family, our future. We just, we just don't know. And if, if you can't care about what they're doing to you than at least care about what they did to Jesus. (laughs) That our sin was the reason he went to the cross. And as he's been whipped, and as he's been tortured, and as he's been beaten, and as he's been spit on, and as he's been mocked, and they're gambling for his clothes, Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Isaiah 53 Verses 5 and 6 says this, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The sins of us all, all at once, on the cross, all of mine, all the things that have been done to Renee, all the things that have been done to you, all the things that you've done to others, All of it, all at once, crushing weight of the sin of the world on Jesus. To recap, what is sin at its core? It's disobeying God's laws. I love what Winky Pratt, and he says, sin is selfish and it's stupid. (laughs) It's selfish because it's us choosing to have our own way when God has said something else, and it's stupid because if he's the smartest person in in all of the universe, and he's told us how to live and we don't, that's pretty dumb, right? Like, we would want to follow someone's advice, like have a mentor in maybe the field that we're going into. Like, hey, give me your advice. I want to listen. I want to follow your path, right? You'd be stupid not to. And yet the king of the universe has given us what he wants for us. It's dumb not to follow it, right? Sin separates us from God, and sin hurts us, and it hurts God. It must hurt God. Because it put Jesus on the cross. God hates sin not because of some arbitrary rule, but because of what it does in this world that is contrary to his design. So number one, we don't understand what sin is or what it does. The second thing is we don't, we don't actually want to be free. That's another barrier. Like we don't, we may not want to be free. Like why wouldn't you want to be, right? <laughs> we went through all of what sin is and that kind of stuff, but sometimes we just enjoy sin too much. Either we don't know what it is, or maybe we have ignored God's laws long enough that he's just leaving us alone. That can happen, that our consciences can be seared, like he's told you, he's told you, he's convicted you, and, and he's a good God, and he's, he's a loving God, and so he will allow us to make a choice to not choose him. And so over time, that fades, right? Or we're making comparisons to our sin and others just to sort of like justify ourselves, like, but, but we see in Scripture where Jesus encounters a Pharisee that's praying. He's like, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. And I'm not like a sinner like this guy over here, this tax collector, right? And then the tax collector's on his face before God saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of them is justified before God today? It's the one that admits that he's a sinner. God can't forgive us of sins that we haven't committed, that we haven't owned up to, that we haven't taken responsibility for. And getting through this barrier, we'll talk about it in a minute, but really it's all about honesty. 
Getting through the barrier of not really want to be free from sin is all about honesty. It's saying, I know God, you're the God of the universe. You love me, you made me, you died for me, you have a plan for my life, but I love sleeping with my girlfriend more than I love you, right? Like, right? I love holding on to unforgiveness of my roommate more than I love you. That's what we're talking about. Like, and I know that's like weird to say, but it's, it's honesty. It's practically true. So we might as well be honest with God about what's really happening in our lives and in our hearts. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But the third thing is, is we don't think we can be free. And I think this one is the scariest one. And I think it's really prevalent in the church. This idea of like, I'm just going to try my best, but I'll always be a sinner. I'll always struggle with the same things because I'm not a perfect person. I'm always going to deal with this. I can't be free from this. If you don't think that you can be free, I have two questions for us tonight. Why did God give us laws he never expected us to follow? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. I'll give you an example. I don't do that to my kids. My son, a year or so ago, a couple years ago maybe even, we were sitting sitting in the living room and all of a sudden like half the lights in the house went off. It was just like, like, what was that? We're like, Asher. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> we go into the room and he had stuck a penny down like behind a light, like a, yeah, the, the power, yeah, the light socket. So he, he put a penny there and it, you know, arced and it tripped the breaker. It's a miracle he didn't get shocked. Like, I don't know how that didn't happen, but he had done it. And so like, we really strongly were like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> And I asked him today, I was like, hey, do you remember the penny thing? And I was like, do you remember why we said don't do that again? He's like, because it turns the lights off. And I was like, but why else did we tell you not to do that? And he's like, I don't remember. And I was like, because you could die. I'm trying to save your life. And then he just laughed. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I tell him not to do that. Don't, don't do that. And then I expect that he will not do that for his own sake. I love him enough to say, and very strongly, very, I didn't hit him or anything, but I just was like, don't ever do that, buddy. You could die. What did Jesus, what did God say? Do not eat of this tree or you will die. Why would Jesus tell people to go and sin no more in John 8 and John uh, 5 if he knew they couldn't do it? That doesn't make sense. I, I was looking through just different commentaries and looking around on the internet. The internet's a dangerous place, friends. But I, so I'm looking at this, just kind of looking up different people's thoughts on this. And there's literally a person who had written an article about like both of those times that Jesus said, go and sin no more to people. And uh, he said, uh, for one of them, he said, he was obviously being sarcastic. And for the other one, he knew she couldn't really not be sinful. What? Why did he bother to save this woman's life who is called in front of all these people, caught in the act of adultery, but somehow the man's not there, right? Bring her out. They're going to hit her with stones. Jesus spares her life by whatever he wrote in the sand. <laughs> Let him without sin cast the first stone, right? He turns around, where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Why would he bother to save her life? And tell her not to go sin and then just expect that she would. That doesn't make any sense. Why did he bother to spare her? The second question is, what kind of weak, wimpy God do we serve if he can free us from the penalty of sin but not the power of sin? 
Dude, that's not the God that we serve, that he's so strong and so mighty that he could free us from hell, but not from sin here. He's so much bigger than that. He's so much better than that. If he can't free us from the power of sin, and yes, that is what this passage that we read said over and over and over, he does do and he wants to do, why are we bothering with this God that can't save us from the power of sin here, but only in the afterlife? When our experience doesn't line up with Jesus' teaching in Scripture, we trust his truth over our experience. What this says, what this passage says is that he freed us from the power of sin, that we can choose not to sin. So this barrier of I can't be free from sin or I don't think I can be, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, I love this so much. I've shared this so many times and it's been such a a help to me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we face temptation, and we will face temptation, and it's important to understand that temptation is not the same thing as sin. If somebody walked up to me with a giant vial of heroin and said, hey buddy, you want some heroin? I just got tempted, right, with heroin. Somebody tried to offer it to me, and I went, oh, my God, I got, I was, I'm a heroin addict. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's dumb. A temptation is not the same. If I, but if I said, yeah, let's go, you know, like, that's different, right? Temptation, being confronted, get, being offered something is different than actually following through with that thing. And so temptation is not the same thing as sin. But here's what the Bible says. When we are tempted, he will give us an escape. So, Here's the question. If we have a habitual sin in our life that we do over and over and over, we can't find freedom from, and we feel like we cannot be free of it, if we do sin, then what this scripture means is that we actually overrode the escape hatch that God gave us. That at some point along the way, God actually said, I know you're being tempted, but here's your way out. Here's your way out. Here's your way out. And we just blew right by it, right? That's what scripture says about what God will do for us. So the question is then, if we continue in this pattern of sin, we need to be asking God, which ways out did I not take? (laughs) God, help me understand where and when and how to respond to your ways out. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is acting like God is actually telling the truth. If God says in his word, in this passage, that we can be free from sin and free from the power of sin, let's just act like he's being honest. If he says he'll give us a way out every time that we're tempted, let's just act like he's being honest. We can be free from the power of sin. God is telling the truth. We just have to trust him, place our faith in him. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that um, Christians, you know, at some point there's just a flip that switch or, you know, switch that flips and we just walk in perfect, you know, perfection forever, right? That we never sin. But what I am saying is that there's a gap between me and Jesus and his nature and his character. And that's a vast gap. And so for the rest of my life, I will be dealing with my flesh and I'll be dealing with the things that are in my life that that don't align with Jesus. But I can tell you right now, I believe in the freedom from the power of sin. And so I believe with all of my heart that the thing that I'm dealing with today will not be the thing that I'm dealing with five years from now, will not be the thing that I'm dealing with for 10 years from now. And I can tell you from my own life experience that the stuff that I'm dealing with today is not the same thing that I was dealing with 10 years from now, 10 years ago, sorry. This is true. This is true. 
There is hope. There is hope. You guys want to hear the rest of Renee's story? So we got to be a part of her rescue. The reason we met her is because she walked over to Frontline Response and actually wanted to get off the streets and wanted to escape prostitution, wanted to escape from her pimp. And so we actually were able to jump in the van with her. We got to ride over to a detox center with her. And while we were at, on the mission trip, over the course of the week, she went through detox super fast. We were praying, God, let her go through super fast. Went through detox super fast. She got placed in a woman's home super fast. And then we were praying, too, that when we were riding with her in the van, she was sharing about what she hoped to do after she got clean and after she got through all of this. She was like, I want to be a social worker. I want to help rescue these other 11 women that are down in this basement. Like, I feel so bad for them. They're young. Like, she was a little older, so she's like, I feel bad. They're young. They're trapped. They're addicted. They're all, I want to help them. And... Um, and so she just had this hope, this joy, this like, man, I, I think I can do this. I think I can help them. And in fact, I've been getting updates on her uh, from our friends at Frontline, and she was cooperating with the FBI, and they're going to try to deal with that laundromat and the, and the stuff that's going on down there. So she was already working on helping her, her girlfriends get out of that situation. Renee is free. Renee is free. Frontline was there in the midst of her brokenness, not just mad and furious about what was happening, but actually doing something about it, actually helping, actually bringing freedom and healing, and helping her bring others into freedom. And that's what Jesus did for us in our sin. He came into our brokenness, not just mad about it, but he came in to do something about it, to conquer death, hell, and the grave for you and for me and for Renee and for Renee's pimp and for Renee's family and for every terrible person that's hurt you and for every person that you've hurt, right? Like, he did that. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love for us that, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Isaiah 53, I read five and six a minute ago, but I want to just read uh, the rest of this. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Jesus bared our sins so that we could be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that we could be free from the power and the penalty of our sin. But we're faced with this last barrier, and this is the last thing we'll do. It's the, it's the thing that we're going to go through is we don't know how to be free. And that's what we're going to walk through now. As we've been talking this evening, I mean, I've just been praying that God would put something on our heart, something that's just maybe nagging, something that we've been thinking about, something that we wanted to be free from, or something that just the Holy Spirit just put on our heart. Um, and so I put together this worksheet. It's not perfect. <laughs> it's not, uh, I don't guess, fully comprehensive, but it's the process by which we've tried to implement the practice of walking in freedom from our sin based on what the Word of God says. So if you're looking at this, the first step 
of walking in freedom from our sin is turning to Jesus and letting him in. It's believing John 3.16 that he loved us, that he gave his life for us. And so it starts with understanding he's the only one that can actually save us. He's the only one that can actually help us. And so we ask him to search our heart, ask the Holy Spirit to, to bring genuine conviction, ask God for his forgiveness and his grace. We ask him to help and empower us to change. That's, that's step one, right? Just engaging with the Lord in that way. The second step here is get honest. <laughs> get honest. First John 1, 8 and 9 says, confess your sins one to another. <laughs> and you may be healed. Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out any wicked way in me and lead me on the path of everlasting life. It's, it's asking these questions like, what sin am I committing? Do I want to change or do I need God's help to actually desire to change? Philippians, um, Philippians 2, I love this. It says that God is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. The NLT says to... Um, to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I love that because sometimes I don't have the desire, but I have the power. And sometimes I, I have the desire, but not the power. But God is promising that he's working in us to give us both, right? To help us in both. How is this sin? This is getting honest, right? How has this sin hurt God? How has it hurt yourself? How has it hurt others? Who do you need to confess to? Very often, we need to confess our sin to someone. If you sinned against someone else, like who do you need to ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to approach? The third one, this is a huge step. Replace lies with truth. Jesus, when he was tempted in the garden, uh, tempted in the wilderness, I mean, do you guys remember what he did? Like Satan came and said, hey, turn this stone into bread. And he was like, the word of God says, scripture says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Satan gave him, gave him another tempt, right? Like he tempted him with another thing. And what did he do? He quoted scripture to him, the truth of the word of God. He tried again for the third time. And the third time, Satan actually quoted scripture. And Jesus quoted scripture back to him that refuted his lies. What lies are you believing about God, your sin, or yourself? And what scriptural truths can you write down and memorize to replace those lies? Some of you in this room have actually walked through this process. It's amazing to write down what it is that I'm thinking about myself or what is it, what is it in the, the lie that I'm believing about who God is, that he's not capable of giving me the power to overcome my sin or what am I believing about myself? What am I believing about others? Okay, so now let's go to the scriptures and actually discover what God really says, what the truth is that we're going to combat that lie of the enemy with. And I gave you two, I gave just, just for fun, right? Like the one that we were looking at tonight, just that, that we should consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin. And then also no temptation has overtaken us and that he'll give us a way out. The fourth one is do whatever it takes. I love this one. This is when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes, or your hand causes you to sin, even your good hand, chop it off. Now, I do believe Jesus was being hyperbolic there. I don't think he wanted us to actually gouge out our eyes and cut our hands off. But what he's saying is, do whatever it takes to get rid of sin in your life, right? Why do we, for whatever reason, I don't know why we do this. I do this too, guys, I promise. We go right up to the edge of the thing that we're tempted to do, and then we're just like, oh God, help me not do it, right? Like, but 
that the idea is like, if you're going to go to the length of cutting off your hand, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to separate you from that sin. So, man, when we're, when, when we're looking at like pornography and, and addiction and those kind of things around um, lust and that kind of stuff, like, hey, the music that you listen to, does it objectify women? The movies that you watch, does it objectify men and women, right? Like, maybe that is the step before the step of not digging into and getting into pornography. And maybe it's like Lydia shared a few weeks ago, man, I was really struggling with gossip, realized the bachelor was not helping, <laughs> like, right? Like, I don't know what it is for you, but the Lord will show you. And, that, and, and so are we willing to do whatever it takes? What are the things in our lives that are feeding that temptation to sin? And how is the Holy Spirit leading us to cut those things out of your life? Here's what I love about God is that he's a good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And so for me to stand up and say, you guys have to do this, 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 and this to get rid of this sin in your life, that's dumb. Because I don't know if that'll work for you or not. But God is good. The Lord is good. The Holy Spirit is kind. And he will show you if you'll ask him, I promise you he wants you to be free of sin more than you do. If you'll ask him, he'll show you the things in your life that are feeding the temptations into these sins, and he'll give you the power to do whatever it takes to get rid of that. The fifth one um, I call radical accountability. Now, this is one that I, I see in Scripture, but maybe not as clearly as some of the others. So the two scriptures I have there, Galatians 6, 1 through 3, uh, Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In James 5, it, that, that part's basically like if you rescue someone out of sin, it's like snatching them out of the fires of hell. Like you, you, you say, like, but both of those are from, this, from the, the person who's helping another person, like get free from sin. But I just, just really quickly, I want to talk about the way that I see accountability I see accountability as someone taking responsibility for their sin and for their temptation and actually coming to someone else. Not, not someone saying like every week, like, hey, buddy, did you mess up? Hey, girlfriend, did you screw up? Oh, you did? Yeah, so did I. That sucks. Let's pray, and we'll do it again next week. Like, that's the accountability that we have in the church a lot of times. But, dude, I don't know when you're going to be tempted. You guys don't know when I'm going to be tempted. So radical accountability says, I'm going to text you. When I'm going into that meeting, you know, that, that, that holiday with my family, with that aunt that I can't stand, that I know I just want to cuss her out, and I have so much bitterness, and I have so much unforgiveness, and I need the Lord to help me. So I'm going to, before I go into that, I'm going to say, hey, girl, will you pray for me? Because I'm going to go meet with my family. I need, I need, the, I don't want to sin. I'm going to get ahead of that, right? I've had guys text me. I've texted guys, hey, look, this is a, this is a season that's difficult for me. Will you pray for me so that I don't sin? What if we just confessed our temptations so that we actually didn't sin? And so that's what I have there. Who's someone that you can confess temptation to? Get way ahead of it. That's radical accountability. Not waiting for somebody to chase you down, but chasing someone else down and saying, hey, I need your help. And who's someone that can help you in those times? The last one, and this is actually the secret weapon. <laughs> this is the one that's better than all of them. And what I want to leave you with before we go through this, is grow in affection for Jesus and his kingdom. Mark 12, 30 and 31 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew six thirty three says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these worries, all these things that you're worried about, they'll be added unto you. He'll take care of you. How's your devotional life? 
How can you grow in devotion to Jesus? When, where, how, who with? <laughs> Do you connect mostly deeply to God? How are you prioritizing that right now? What are ways that you're using your gifts to advance God's kingdom in this season? What are ways that you can love and serve others in this season? Here's why this is a secret weapon. There's an old hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Have you guys ever known someone that you're really good friends until they start dating somebody and then they disappear off the face of the earth? What's happened in them is their affection for that person is greater than the affection for the friendship that you're in. And so that strong affection actually expels other things. Like, and in that regard, probably not a good thing, right? Like, you don't abandon all your friends when you find someone hot today, right? But we see this with, I mean, like, when I met Alicia, dude, no other women, right? Like, my affection for her only grows as time goes on. And so the way that I keep from cheating on her is not walking around going, don't cheat on Alicia, don't cheat on Alicia, don't cheat on Alicia, don't cheat. I just go and love her. We spend time together. We enjoy one another's company. We discover what it is that the way that God's wired us, the way that God has gifted one another, we appreciate, we, we spend time together. That's how I don't cheat on Alicia. It's not walking around worried about, oh my God, Right? Whatever the sin is, whatever the struggle is, whatever that habit is, whatever it is, is like the, the secret weapon to getting rid of that in your life is just love God more. Just spend more time with him. Just spend more time in his presence. I was just talking to a guy just a few days ago, and he was, he was talking about just, uh, he's, he's like overcoming sin in a really, really cool way, but he's also really hard on himself about it. He's one of those like, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips, which I love. I love his heart to be holy. I love it. But what's happening is, is that if he's not, if he doesn't feel holy enough, then he feels bad. He's like, have you sinned? No, but I'm not holy enough, right? And so what that is, is that's actually focusing on himself a ton. I'm like, what if you just focused on God and his kingdom and other people? And he's like, well, how do I, how do you overcome self-focusedness in your life? And I'm like, well, I have three kids, that constantly want stuff from me. And so the Lord has blessed me with that so that I can work through my self-focusedness. Like I'm having to focus on other people. I was like, I'm real sorry, man. I don't, you know, and, but as we were thinking about it and praying about it, I was like, could you just be the dishwasher at your house? You're the, the apartment dishwasher and that your roommates would never touch a dish. What is that doing? That's causing him to focus on serving someone else. And it's taking away the self-focusedness and the focus on I'm not being godly enough right now, right? Like, what does it look like to just invest in God, relationship with him and his kingdom? And, and you'll find that over time, not only will you not be tempted by those sins, but you won't even want to do them. That's what I've found to be so fruitful is that I've walked through this process and then I get to this piece of just loving Jesus more. Because I love him, I hate sin more than I ever have. And that's a beautiful, precious thing. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just take some time. I want all of us to just, normally we kind of get together and talk through things. I don't want to do that. God's put something on your heart that he wants you to, to walk through, to look through. And so I want you to find a place alone and work through these questions and just answer them. Turn to Jesus, let him in, ask him, 
get honest, replace the lies with truth. If you don't know those, man, life group leaders want to help you begin to discover those. Come up with a plan for whatever it takes. Think about that radical accountability and think about how you can grow in affection for Jesus. And I, I promise you that what we read, what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 will become more true to us than it ever has. Jesus, just lead and guide our time as we work through this sheet. God, I thank you that I'm not immune <laughs> to dealing with things that even this week you've given me things that I need to work through this worksheet on. And so we just humbly come before you, trust your word, faith, so that we're going to believe that you're a man of your word, that you're a person of your word, and that your word is true, and that you want us to be free from this more than we do. So as we walk through this, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and bring freedom and conviction and hope and joy into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit tcuxa.com. God bless and go Frogs.